Another reason making untruth unavoidable, and this one is more powerful than all the reasons previously mentioned. So this is really the central thing for, for Ibn Khaldun. Is ignorance of the nature of the various conditions arising in civilization. Every event or phenomena, whether it comes into being with some essence or as the result of an action, must inevitably possess a nature peculiar to its essence as well as to the accidental conditions which may attach themselves to it. If the student knows the nature of events and the circumstances and requirements in the world of existence, it will help him to distinguish truth from untruth in investigating the historical information critically. This is more effective in critical investigation than any other aspect that may be brought up in connection with it. So the key here is this statement, every event or phenomena, whether it comes into being in connection with some essence or as a result of an action, must inevitably possess a nature peculiar to its essence as well as to the accidental conditions that may attach themselves to it. So he's saying that everything has a nature, and he specifically points out that, that everything has a nature whether it comes into being with some essence, which means for him like a natural thing, like water or air, you know what I mean, or fire, or as the result of an action, like what people do. So whether the thing is a natural, you know, a natural uh, occurring thing, or something which is a product of human action, it will still possess a nature. So not only does nature have a nature, but human actions have a nature. So basically, Ibn Khaldun is saying we treat the human being and human action as part of nature because it has a nature and a nature which is specific to the kind of thing it is. So that human action could be war or political organization or, you know, economic, uh, well, you know, productivity. Yeah. Travel. Think of any kind of human action. He's saying it has a nature that's specific to it that makes it the kind of thing that it is and which is also specific or particular peculiar to the accidental conditions that may attach themselves to it. Those are the peripheral things. For example, a human action like war, war in the desert, war on the sea, war in the mountains, making a living uh, in an agrarian climate, making a living in a desert climate. Uh, you know, th these are the sort of peripheral conditions that affect the nature of the action and so he's saying that the effect that has on the action also has a nature. If the student knows the natures of events and the circumstances and requirements in the world of existence, that's the world that's out there, right? Not the world in our minds and ideas and, and thoughts. It will help him to distinguish truth from untruth and investigating the historical information critically. Actually, we should probably distinguish world of existence from the world of like the narrative or the reports. We have some stories, some ideas, and then we have the world out there, which has its nature. And he's basically telling us that if we understand the nature of things and that human action also is a thing that has a nature, then we will be able to distinguish what's true and what's not true in the historical reports that we have. Because just like everything else in nature being governed by certain natural laws that we can discover, human actions are also governed by natural laws that we can discover. 
And if we understand those, we'll be able to know what really could have happened and what could not have happened. And so if we have historical reports, we'll be able to distinguish the truth from the untruth in those reports by reference to the knowledge of the nature of, of human life. It looks like what's going on is we will be ascertaining laws that govern human civilization. And then on the basis of the knowledge of those laws, we'll be able to know what actually happened and what didn't happen. And I suppose we would also be able to know what's going to happen, right? So the question is, how do we, how do we know what those laws are? How are we going to discover those laws? How will we discover what the laws of human civilization are? By comparing many events, by comparing like different civilizations. Okay, and how and what will we use to make those comparisons? We'll be comparing the facts of the past with other facts of the past, right? Yes, by the uh, the materials are uh, the documents we have, but it must be trusted documents, as he said, trusted yeah. transmissions. Does it look like we have a circularity problem? In order to ascertain what the laws of civilization and the laws of history are, we have to know what the historical facts are. But he says that we won't be able to know what the historical facts are unless we know what the laws of history are. Does that seem kind of like a problem? So what's the evidence or data set, let's say, that we use to arrive at law, at knowledge of the laws of civilization? Well, that will have to be history, right? We have to look and see what's happened in history in order to ascertain the laws, what the laws are that govern history. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, we have to know what really happened. And the problem is that Ibn Khaldun is telling us we can't know what really happened unless we already know what the laws of civilization are, because that's how we can determine what's true from what's not true in the reports. All right, so what does he say here? Students often happen to accept and transmit absurd information that in turn is believed on their authority. Al-Mas'udi, who's a famous uh, Arab historian before this, yeah? Al-Mas'udi, for instance, reports such a story about Alexander. <clears throat> sea monsters prevented Alexander from building Alexandria. He took a wooden container in which a black box was inserted and dived it in it to the bottom of the sea. There he drew pictures of the devilish monsters he saw. He then had metal effigies of these animals made and set them up opposite the palace, the place where building was going on. When the monsters came out and saw the effigies, they fled. Alexander was thus able to complete the building of Alexandria. It is a long story made up of nonsensical elements which are absurd for various reasons. Thus, Alexander is said to have taken a glass box and braved the sea and its waves in person. Now, rulers would not take such a risk. Any ruler who would attempt such a thing would work his own undoing and provoke the outbreak of revolt against himself, and he would be replaced by the people with somebody else. That would be his end. People would not even wait one moment for him to return from the dangerous risk he is taking. Furthermore, the jinn are not known to have specific forms and effigies. They are able to take on various forms. 
The story of the many heads they have is intended to indicate ugliness and frightfulness. It is not meant to be taken literally. All this threw a suspicion on the story. Okay, so here's the important and interesting part. Yet the element in it that makes the story absurd for reasons based on the facts of existence, right? That's like the, the laws of nature, essentially, is more convincing than all the other arguments. Were one to go down deep into the water, even in a box, one would have too little air for natural breathing. Because of that, one's spirit would quickly become hot. Such a man would lack the cold air necessary to maintain a well-balanced humor of the lung and the vital spirit. He would perish on the spot. This is the reason why people perish in hot baths when cold air is denied to them. It is also the reason why people who go down into deep wells and dungeons perish when the air there becomes hot through putrefaction, and no winds enter those places to stir the air up. Those who go down there perish immediately. This is also the reason why fish die when they leave the water, for the air is not sufficient for a fish to balance its lung. The fish is extremely hot, and the water to balance its humor is cold. The air into which the fish now comes is hot. Heat thus gains power over its animal spirit, and it perishes at once. This is also the reason for sudden death and similar things. All right, what do you think of that? So Ibn Khaldun tells us, this superstitious story is, we can know that it's false, mostly because it totally goes against what we know to be scientifically proven as the facts of existence, right? The nature of things. And that is this, right? That a man would die there because the cold air necessary to maintain a well-balanced humor of the lung and vital spirit would not be there. And then he goes on to say that the fish is really hot. And that's why fish die when you take them out of water because the fish are really hot. And when you take them out of the water, the water is not there that they need to cool the humor, right? To balance its humor. But the human is cold and you put him down into the water and he will, right, die. Is that a true scientific theory? No, of course. Right, so this is like a historical and obsolete scientific theory, right? If we're going to use uh, knowledge of science, right, to ascertain the truth and the untruth of historical reports, then we have to be able to know that, that the science we're using is actually true, eternally true, right? But this science that he's talking about <clears throat> seems to be only historically true. I mean, the most we can say about it is that at one point in time, people thought it was true. But now... We apparently know it's not, or we think we know it's not true. People don't believe it anymore. And so this, which was supposed to be actually scientific uh, facts of existence, are really just historical facts of what humans thought. So whereas he was going to use science to actually judge history, it turns out to be that the science that he was using to judge history is actually just gone into history. It's just more history and apparently as unreliable as any of the other history that he was evaluating with it. 
So that raises our question. We have two ways to approach this. We can say that he's right that if we understand, scientifically understand the nature of things, we will be able to know what happened in history and what didn't happen in history. And it's possible to scientifically understand the nature of things, but it's just the case that Ibn Khaldun uh, did not really. He only had one historical version of science, which was not true. You know, that doesn't really impinge on his notion that we should use our scientific understanding of things to judge history. It's just that he didn't have the right science, but we do. And the other approach, I guess, would be to say that we don't have any more reason to think that we have the right science that can actually ascertain the truth and the untruth of, of, of what happened in the past any more than he did, right? We just have a different science. And for all we know, our science, what we think is scientifically indisputable about the facts of existence and nature will become as obsolete as what he thought were the scientific facts.